Welcome to episode 17 of the Scarlet Faithful podcast. I'm your host and co-founder, Aaron Brightman. Thank you so much for listening once again. And uh, we are uh, in the middle of the week, uh, head of Rutgers Wagner this weekend. And rather than do a uh, typical preview, uh, no disrespect to Wagner, but uh, an FCS school coming in to Piscataway on Saturday with a 21-game losing streak. Rutgers, after beating Boston College, of course, um, you know, can't uh, afford a letdown per se. But, um, you know, listen, this is uh, this is not going to be a close game. And uh, wanted to do something a little different. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's I've gotten a lot of great feedback on Twitter uh, just in terms of uh, soliciting questions and topics. And uh, I've done a couple of mailbag articles and wanted to try a full podcast episode just based on mailbag questions that people sent me through Twitter. Uh, and I really appreciate everyone's responses. I got, I got a ton. So, you know, we're just going to kind of scroll through all these questions. Uh, A lot of great topics about, uh, obviously a lot about Rutgers football, um, but many about Rutgers uh, athletics as a whole, different sports, and just thought it'd be a lot of fun to just kind of go through the questions, uh, read who they're from. And uh, I'll give you my kind of quick take. Um, You know, I haven't really done any research or anything, um, because that would just, you know, it would take me a week to prepare. So, uh, obviously I'm going to give my, my best, uh, my best, uh, kind of take and, and knowledge of the situation and hopefully you find it entertaining and informative in some way. Um, and thanks again for all, uh, those that wrote in. So let's start it off. Um, obviously quarterback was a very, uh, hot topic, uh, in terms of questions coming in, uh, John Jamgochian, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, tweeted at me, what will it take for Shiano to play one QB, regardless of who it is? Uh, Wanted to kind of pair that with a couple of other quarterback questions uh, that I got. Um, This is from Jeffrey, Prez of UT Conklin Fan Club. You know who you are. This pronged, four-pronged QB, whatever is going to help us win approach, madness that will implode in spectacular fashion or the kind of Mad Hatter gimmick that just might work. Has to be the former, right? So I wanted to bring up those two directly together. Uh, obviously, the quarterback situation, um, you know, we had saw Gavin Wimsat and Evan Simon, uh, you know, not only split uh, series, but, uh, you know, split plays within a drive, um, you know, didn't just alternate series throughout the game. It was a bit chaotic. Uh, it worked at times. It didn't work at other times. Is it sustainable? Uh is Shiano going to play one quarterback at all this season? Is it going to be a constant rotation? You know, it's hard to say. He definitely did not give confidence this week in terms of, um, you know, straying away from a rotation. He certainly seemed very comfortable being willing to do that. Uh, I think obviously with um, Wagner this week, Temple next week, it does actually make sense to, to play all the quarterbacks, uh, get them as, you know, get get everybody some time. Uh, I guess per se, in terms of if you're trying to build uh, some, you know, I guess uh, more tape and film for each quarterback. We don't know about Noah Vedral. Uh, we know he's week to week. We don't know the specific injury. Uh, will he play this weekend? I mean, I, I think, you know, there's no reason to rush him back against Wagner. Um, Temple's probably actually ideal for him to kind of come back and get his feet wet for the season. But, you know, I, I just I know people feel like it's it's very polarizing what happened on Saturday. You know, there's definitely a, a faction that feel that Evan Simon is the best quarterback and should play. 
Uh, and then, you know, there, there's uh, a lot of people that think that it's time to just let Gavin Wimsat go and, uh, and give him the keys and, and let him develop. And, and, and that's really where I sit. At, but I think that what people are forgetting and where I, I think it's more kind of interesting and, and deeper to look at the whole philosophical kind of thing that's going on here is that, you know, Sean Gleason's the offensive coordinator. He came to Rutgers, you know, to run a, an RPO type offense. And he recruited Gavin Wimsett, who's the highest rated recruit in program history. And he's an RPO quarterback. Uh, Evan Simon was recruited by John McNulty, the former offensive coordinator. He is not a traditional RPO style quarterback. Uh, he's more of a drop back passer. You know, he can, he can run at times, uh, but he is not, uh, I, I would say stylistically, uh, as good of a fit for Sean Gleason's offense as Gavin Wimsett is. And while the ceiling for Gavin Wimsett is higher than Evan Simon, the floor is lower, right? I get that. Evan Simon, you know, he's probably going to make less mistakes. Uh, although I do think there's been a little bit overblown that, you know, I mean, listen, it's no disrespect to him, but they both made mistakes. They both made plays in that win over Saturday. Uh, over Boston College on Saturday. So I think anointing Evan Simon as, you know, saying that, you know, he, he's, he doesn't really have that much more experience. You know, he, he played a couple more games than was that last year. But um, I, I just think if you look at it from the big picture perspective, it's kind of fascinating where we're, where we're at right now and, and where this might go. Because, you know, Shiano made it pretty clear this week that he has the ultimate say. Uh, personnel wise, you know, he has the ultimate decision. He does give his staff leeway, but it's very interesting where this potential quarterback situation could go. It does seem like when Vedral comes back, he's going to play. Um, what's it going to take? Going back to that original question, what's it going to take for Shiano to play one quarterback? I think there's going to have to be an obvious step forward from someone uh, where basically they're going to have to win a game, uh, probably against, uh, you know, a pretty good Big Ten team. I, Iowa, to me, is a fascinating game coming up, not only because I think Rutgers has a chance to win. Uh, obviously, Iowa's defense is fantastic. Their offense is the opposite. But if if one of the three quarterbacks, assuming Vedral is back, steps up and, and wins the game, that could certainly be a point where I think they shift or, or prioritize that quarterback. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Iowa. It could end up being Nebraska in the sixth game. Um, you know, just going back to what I was just saying, and then I want to move on because there's lots of great questions here, is, you know, if you're Sean Gleason, you brought in Gavin Wimsett to run your offense. So here we are after week one. You know, he played about half the game. Uh, I think what was, was really key was that last drive, the game-winning drive against Boston College. He was in for every snap. You know, he only threw it once. Uh, and if you if you look back at the replay, you know if he had just uh, a, a split to sec, a split second faster, made a different decision. He he um, he had he, I forget the receiver's name, but he had somebody open. Uh, he he's in my opinion is a chicken and egg thing, right? You, you have to he needs experience to get better, uh, and you don't want him to make mistakes now. He's not ready, but he's only going to be ready if you get him that experience. And he's here to run Sean Gleason's offense. I just go back to that. And Sean Gleason brought him here. He's the highest rated recruit in program history. At some point, you know, of course, he has to earn it. Absolutely. But he also needs a fair developmental 
uh, opportunity and platform to, to build and taking them out, you know, on second down of a series, if that's a long-term thing this season, I just think that's going to be detrimental to his development. And at the end of the season, if all three quarterbacks are in the same place that they're essentially right now, then I think as a coaching staff, that's a fail. Uh, you need to have the guy ready for next year. Is that Evan Simon? Is there a huge shift that all of a sudden, hey, Evan Simon's the guy. Gavin Williams is not the guy. You know what? If that ends up happening, well, then, okay. Do I think that is going to happen or should happen? Probably not. Uh, and the last five games of the season are extremely difficult to all of a sudden just say, hey, you know, let's say Rutgers is out of contention. Let's just give it to Wimsett, let him develop for next year. Those are five really difficult games to, to, to expect him to develop in a fair way, to be honest with you. Now is the time to develop him for that back half of the schedule. Um, I understand, listen, they're in bowl contention legitimately. Um, but, you know, listen, there's plenty of college football teams that have taken a young quarterback and they've gone to a bowl game. Uh, by the way, what, what happened in 2005, Mike Teal, freshman, comes in, supplants Ryan Hart, one of the best quarterbacks in program history. You know, they go back and forth a little bit. Hart ends up, you know, uh, having the great bowl game. But the point is, you know, we trusted Teal back then, uh, went on to become the, the all-time passing leader. Uh, you know, th this team is not at that level yet. They're hoping to be. They possibly could be this year, being that team that finally makes the leap for Rutgers. I, I don't understand the, the you know, <laughs> I think the training wheels have to come off is, is how I will end that kind of rant and ramble. Uh, but that's uh, at some point you got to let him go. And I think the sooner, the better for his development. Yes. You're going to live with some mistakes, um, you know, but the upside, the, the big play potential, there's no one, uh, there's no quarterback that, that can produce the big plays that he can produce and to beat big 10 teams, you need big plays. And yes, he could make big mistakes too, but I think we have to have a little faith in his talent and his potential. And that's, you know, that, that that's how I see the situation. I know not everybody does. I know people are more comfortable with Evan Simon, and I think he has certainly some positives. Um, but if it's my call, you need to get Gavin Wimsett as developed as possible this season, and it starts now. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's see. What are the questions that we have here about football uh, from friend uh, Adam Castro? I went to high school with Adam, actually, uh, and uh, he sent me a couple questions, which I loved. Knowing QB is a challenge, why don't we deploy more bubble screens to get QBs a little more comfortable with easy throws? Greg Schiano must hate them. Didn't even use them with Tim Brown, Kenny Brett, etc. cetera. Uh, and then he has a, a you know, a, a emoji with the, the crying face. Uh, Totally agree with them. I, I think not only bubble screens are uh, sorely lacking from the offense, um, but also the tight end. Uh, I, I just think Johnny Langan, you know, he actually led Rutgers in receiving against Boston College. Victor Kanopka had a big catch. Uh, I just, you know, Matt Alamo, uh, Alamo has had um, some catches in his career. You know, I would love to see the tight end position featured more in the offense, but I do agree with Adam completely. Bubble screens, you know, really don't exist. I just think Aaron Cruikshank, uh, you know, even uh, a, a guy like Chris Long, a really uh, young receiver that I think could potentially get more time now 
with Taj Harris gone, which we'll get into, um, you know, even Josh Youngblood. I mean, those are speedy guys that if they get out in open space, they, they could the yards after catch could be big. So uh, sometimes I think, yeah, it, it were maybe overthought. I, and again, I don't know if that's necessarily Shiano. I don't think he's saying no bubble screens. Um, perhaps it's just, I don't know, a, a lack of simplification in certain things that could just you know, really kind of kickstart the offense, uh, maybe overthinking it. I don't know. But I think between bubble screens and getting the tight ends, making the tight ends more of a priority in the passing game, that would only be a benefit. Second part of Adam's question, uh, music question, where does Tom Petty Wildflowers rank on your all-time list? WWP favorite, went to West Windsor Plainsboro High School. Uh, I'm old enough to say that I went before. There were two high schools in the, in the district. Uh, I, I went to what is now South. But anyway, long story short, uh, yes, dating myself uh, and Adam, uh, Tom Petty Wildflowers came out when we were in high school, mid-90s. Uh, definitely one of his best albums. Tom Petty, for those of you who don't know, is really one of my all-time favorites. Uh, you know, his death still is impactful to me. Uh, I, I miss him uh, just making music. Uh, his career was amazing. Wildflowers was a complete departure for him. Uh, very different kind of catalog uh, based on the rest of his career. Uh, and I just think it was brilliant. You know, I've, I've, I've listened to interviews uh, about him making that. And also Rick Rubin, uh, the producer, I've listened to interviews with him talk about it. And, you know, he was in kind of a dark period in his life then. And, uh, you know, the fact that he was able to make such kind of a just uh, uplifting and kind of, uh, you know, it, it, for me, just it's a very comforting album. And I love listening to it just when I kind of want to, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say negative or heavy, but just kind of want to zone out and kind of reset. I listen to Wildflowers. It's an all-time album for me. I can't rank it top five, top 10, whatever. It's one of the best albums, in my opinion, that's ever been made. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, we have um, uh, John Catapano, who uh, wrote for me at On the Banks and is still there. Uh, thoughts on how the women's footballers have met expectations so far this season and how far they can go? Well, I think that this team has a really high ceiling. Uh, you know, even though they've lost uh, Amira Ali, Frankie Tagliaferri, Gabby Provenzano, three All-Americans they lost. Uh, Amira Ali, the only four-time All-American in program history. And yet here they are uh, tying the program best uh, start 6-0-0. Thursday night, they host LaSalle. Looking to go 7-0-0 would be the first Rutgers women's soccer team to ever do that. They've outscored opponents uh, 21 to two, uh, they outscored opponents last week, 10 to nothing. Now, you know, they don't have a ranked win yet. They did go on the road, the opening uh, game of the season at New Mexico, uh, which is a, a you know, really good team, uh, and a hard fought one, nothing win. They went to Providence who made the in-state tournament last year and, uh, beat them three, nothing. They just beat Princeton three to nothing. Who's typically in the in-state tournament as well. Uh, they're, you know, for me, it's the balance. I mean, this team Although they don't have maybe you could say the star power of Amira Ali, even frankly Tyler Ferry coming in from Penn State, you know Riley Ternan, obviously all Big Ten freshman of the year. You know I did a, a profile on her before the season. She is a superstar in my opinion, um, but you know her, her she's been such a focal point from uh, opposing defenses that she's opened up the field for the rest of her teammates. She does have a goal and three assists, um, but she's opened up opportunities for others and. The, the, the balance in attack 
for Rutgers has just been uh, really encouraging and about as balanced an attack as they've ever had. So you lose their two top scorers, Amira Ali and Franklin Tagliferi, combined for 25 goals last year, 13 and 12 respectively. Um, but now you have all these these players that are scoring multiple goals. Samantha Kroger, uh, you know, had two the other day. She's got four. Allison Lowry scored also. She's got four. Uh, Kylie Daigle uh, uh, has, um, you know, a goal and two assists. Uh, you have, I know I'm forgetting someone, but you have Sarah Broches, uh, Becky uh, Fluchel. Um, you know, they, they have multiple assists. They have goals. Um, you know, there's just multiple people involved in the attack. And then you look at that the back line is just loaded. I mean, Emily Mason from the U20 World Cup team. You have Cassidy Banks. Really, what's I think the key to this program is not only do they recruit at a really high level, but they develop that talent at a really high level. Look at the four sophomores starting right now for Rutgers women's soccer. Riley Tiernan up front, Kylie Daigle in the middle, in the midfield, and then you have Cassidy Banks and Emily Mason uh, in the, the defensive line. Uh, along with Allison Lynch, who's been a staple now, their third year starting. Uh, and then you have Megan McClellan, the graduate transfer goalie, who's, you know, arguably the best goalkeeper in the country. She is the NCAA active leader in shutouts, 38. Um, she just, you know, her the, the performance she had last year in those back-to-back shootouts in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I mean, this team is just so solid. Uh, there's really no weaknesses at all. Uh, they have a ton of depth. They even have a freshman, Ali Post, who's really contributing they had a, uh, a, a grad transfer, Haley Gutowski. She has five points total on the season, I think, two goals. I think one or two assists. Um, you know, there, there's just so many contributors on this team. Uh, there, there's no weak spots. Uh, and, um, you know, I think they're, they're in a way, uh, harder to uh, – obviously teams are focusing on Riley Tiernan, but it's not stopping Rutgers' offense. Uh, and and they can't focus on even just a couple players – uh, and not get burned. So Rutgers is just women's soccer. I think, you know, can they win the Big Ten title again, regular season title? Absolutely. Can they make the Final Four again? Absolutely. You know, NCAA tournament, you know, can be very uh, uh, hit or miss. Uh, you know, you could suffer a bad loss, you know, and it, it, it's uh, a little bit unpredictable. But they have the talent uh, for sure, uh, I think, to go very far. And I think it's, you know, the, the best culture and the best program in terms of a winning program uh, and the consistency that they've had the last decade. Such a credit to uh, head coach Michael Neal and the staff. But in terms of the ceiling, yeah, I think I think this team is, I think they're, they're special. I think they're going to have a special season yet again. Uh, they really haven't missed a beat. And I, I expect, you know, it's yes, we need to see how they do it against Penn State, Michigan, Purdue, Wisconsin. Um, but you know, I think, uh, I, I think they have a very good chance to, to, to win the conference yet again. Uh, let's see. These were questions that I had uh, gotten, um, uh, last night, uh, being uh, Tuesday night. Is there any left? There's, um, question from Rob Fulham concern level for this recruiting class being much worse than last year's. He's obviously talking about football, um, you know, rankings wise, they're in the high forties right now, uh, in terms of, uh, national ranking. And um, I don't, uh, you know, I, I get that there's concern. I do think, and I've said this before, I think that uh, Rutgers did benefit during the COVID uh, year last year with uh, players either maybe not wanting to go far away, maybe not being able to visit as much. Um, I think it certainly helped. 
obviously Fran Brown, Taekwon Underwood, uh, they've left, left the staff. They were really good recruiters. Um, but you did bring in some other good ones as well, Marquise Watson. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, um, I, I, I do think that, you know, is there concern? Sure, there's always concern going back in the rankings. I think that, you know, Shano has proven, you know, to, to, to bring in the right fits into the culture. And, you know, I think one thing for me that's an example, and it wasn't necessarily a player that Shiana brought in, but, you know, the grad, uh, the transfer portal, um, you know, and, and just kind of jumping a little bit with, with Taj Harris, and there were a bunch of questions about him. And, you know, listen, I, 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 I would never want to speculate about why someone would, would leave a program uh, after one game. Uh, obviously, he left Syracuse after three games last year, uh, you know, I can't speak to his personal situation. He cited family reasons, personal reasons. You know, all I can say is I, I, I wish him and his family the best and hope whatever issues there are or things that need to be resolved are resolved quickly and positively. Um, you know, I, I, I listen, people saw it. I, I saw it, you know, on the sideline on, on Saturday. His body language wasn't good at the end of the game. He only played 11 snaps. Um, but, you know, very well could be he had things. He does have things going off on off the field that are affecting him. Uh, and, you know, credit to him for, for taking the time to, to do that and, and, and focus on that. You know, will he come back? I know Shiano kind of left the door open today in his press conference, hinting that, you know, if it, it, basically they're on good terms. And if he wants to come back, you know, is that real? I, you know, yeah, I think, listen, it's easy to kind of read into it and say, oh, what's the conspiracy or what's the, you know, what's really going on here? And the, the bottom line is we don't know. And, we have to, I think you just have to take things at face value. And if Shiano says he's welcome back and the player says he needs time, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I would, would, would I expect him to return at this point? Probably not. Um, and, you know, I think that my whole point in jumping from the recruiting class to, um, you know, guys that you get in the transfer portal, everybody falls in love with the transfer portal. Obviously, Rutgers is getting help from a lot of transfers uh, in from years past that have become contributors. And, uh, you know, guys this year, especially the offensive line, uh, four transfers that are all in the top seven of the rotation. Um, but my point is that, you know, it's never a guarantee uh, getting guys from the transfer portal and developing uh, four-year players, you know, for me is is still, I think, you know, hugely important, especially in football uh, with, you know, so many players you need to be contributors. And my point is on Saturday, you know, Taj Harris didn't make an impact you know, had 2,000 yards receiving at Syracuse. And who was out there blocking on the game-winning touchdown run by Al Shadi Salam? Another, uh, none other than Shameen Jones, uh, who, listen, hasn't had, you know, the best career. He's been up and down. Uh, I've always kind of thought he would be a little bit more productive than he's been. But the bottom line is with the game on the line, he was out there blocking and had a huge block to help Al Shadi Salam score the game-winning touchdown. So, there's value on both sides. Transfers are, are uh, you know, necessary, um, you know, part of recruiting now. Um, obviously, getting guys out of high school, having a high recruiting class ranking is important. Um, Rutgers' current class is not where they were last year, uh, you know, the, hovering around 50. Um, I get the concern, um, but I think, you know, we're in a long-term build. And, you know, yes, if it continues to go south, if uh, is consistently getting classes in the 50s and 60s, that's certainly a concern. Um, but I think, you know, again, I've said chicken and egg a couple of times. Uh, they have to win. They need, you know, perception is not 100% going to change 
or change drastically until they really start winning. And I think that, hey, that's why, you know, you got to trust the guys you recruited. And look at some of the freshmen and younger guys, you know, Tyreen Powell, what he's developing into already his second year. Uh, just, um, you know, those guys have to contribute. If, if, if recruits see younger guys contributing and they see the team getting better and they see them beating teams and winning games that are high profile, uh, you know, that's going to that's gonna move the needle more than anything. Whether who the assistant coach is, whether what Shiano's message is, that recruits want to see proof. They want to see tangible evidence that things are getting better. And Rutgers has a chance to do that this year, and hopefully they do. So I'm not too concerned. Uh, and I think that things could certainly – I think as a whole, the program's still moving in the right direction. So let's move on there. Uh, we touched on a few things uh, right there. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to uh, transition now. Uh, and I apologize for the quick delay, but I'm just jumping around to the question. Okay, here we go. Uh, it's been a while since we've had, this is from Phil's fan, Sewell with a bunch of numbers. He knows who he is. It's been a while since we had a legit pass rush. How much is it a product of playing BC versus improved DL? Also without Harris, who becomes those wide receiver deep threats? So first off for the pass rush, I think the defensive line looked phenomenal. Uh, you know, Wesley Bailey getting those sacks at the end of the game. Uh, Keontae Hamilton is just a beast inside. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Mayan Hanatu is improved. Uh, Aaron Lewis, you know, I have really high hopes for him this year. Uh, and I think that, you know, uh, if, um, I'm going to butcher his name probably. Uh, Fiani uh, Meaha, the transfer from Temple, you know, he has high hopes. I know they're, they're high on Kenny Fletcher, the true freshman, you know, who got a little bit of action. Uh, I, I think the defensive line, yeah, I mean, I think the encouraging thing about that game was, you know, they were fresh in the fourth quarter and they dominated Boston College's offensive line. Now, that being said, you know, in this day and age, a Big Ten line should dominate an ACC line. And that's just kind of the way the philosophies of the two conferences and the way teams are built. Uh, so Rutgers did what they really should have done. Uh, they, they have more size. Uh, they're more physical. ACC is more of a finesse league, uh, you know, smaller linemen. Uh, BC was extremely inexperienced on the line, and Rutgers bullied them at the end. Um, but I think the fact that they were so well-conditioned, um, and, and you know, we listen, how many times have we seen the Rutgers defense and the defensive line wear down in the third quarter, fourth quarter against Big Ten competition, our high major, or excuse me, power five teams. So it was great to see how uh, strong, they looked in that game against Boston College, extremely encouraging. And yes, I have high hopes. I mean, uh, I, I think it could be, I, I've said it before, I think there could be a top half uh, Big Ten defense. And I think that um, the defensive line is a big part of that. So really uh, hopeful there. And then also without Harris, who becomes those wide receiver deep threats? Well, you know, I think uh, speaking of Shameen Jones, I, I, he's not a, a deep threat receiver per se, but I think he's kind of the obvious one that could, um, you know, uh, get more opportunities now. Sean Ryan is a guy who has made big plays in his career. He didn't have many opportunities on Saturday, but I think he's someone that certainly could step up. But I think of, of all the receivers that of of a receiver that hasn't really been in the rotation, um, you know, in week one was Chris Long. I mentioned him before. I also think Rashad Rochelle, uh, freshman. Both of those guys, you know, that I, I know they had moments in training camp. They're very athletic. They're fast. Uh, they can go up and get it, uh, and and they can they can go deep. And I think um, 
you know, it'd be great to see one of those guys step up. Um, but I think it's really, you know, I, I said this uh, on Monday on the last podcast. I mean, it's it's an offense by committee. They need everybody to contribute. It's not going to be just one guy steps up for Harris and takes over and becomes the guy. Uh, they need all of those guys to contribute. They need Josh Youngblood, you know, who who hasn't done much in in the um, passing game since his arrival. You know, he he has a chance. Uh, you know, I think that um, obviously Shamin Jones, like I said, uh, Aaron Crookshank, you know, he looked healthy on that big uh, reverse play. All of them have to contribute. Uh, can, uh, and, and as a whole, the group has to be consistent. So can they be? Uh, I think so. Harris is certainly a big loss in that regard, um, but it is what it is, and uh, it's next man up. Uh, let's see. Um, ben uh, asks, what's the ceiling for men's baseball next year? How much more beyond last season do they have to prove to make the tournament? So Rutgers baseball, obviously last year, 44 wins, uh, biggest snub ever, uh, not making the, the NCAA tournament. They finished second place in the Big Ten regular season. They lost in the Big Ten championship to Michigan. Uh, of course, they played in the middle of the night. They, they were the only team to get to the Big Ten championship undefeated. And then it wasn't double elimination all of a sudden. They lost once and they were out. Um, you know, and, you know, you saw Ole Miss. I think you could even probably say, I, I bet you Ole Miss actually took Rutgers' spot in the in in the, the NCAA tournament, and they go on to win the national title. Uh, I'm not saying Rutgers would have done that, um, but uh, you know I, I think the problem for Rutgers baseball is the non-conference schedule. They are extremely uh, hindered by their non-conference schedule because it's always going to kind of be uh, bad. Maybe isn't fair, but um, in terms of a strength of schedule, uh, it's it's a challenge to 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 have a good strength of schedule playing Northeast baseball. You know, Rutgers has to play midweek games and a lot of the local teams uh, that they can play are not very good. Uh, you know, Rutgers has to make big trips early on in the season in February. They used to go to Miami uh, and play them. Uh, they went to Hawaii this past year. I know Coach Steve Owens has talked about the importance of going west or going south and having big series early on in the season. Um, but I think they're going to have to do it more maybe than they even want to, you know, uh, obviously, you know, strength of schedule is, is so important. And I think that, you know, they just have to accept that they have to, they have to take on big tests right away. You know, Rutgers used to go to Miami early in the year. Um, and I think, you know, a, a team like that, a high profile team, I think they need to play them. Uh, I, I think even if you lose uh, two out of three or God forbid, get swept, it still is going to help your strength of schedule long term. And it's also going to be, you know, it's going to get you good experience. So I don't know. We'll see what happens there. But I think in terms of what this team can do this year, I think they're really well positioned to have a very good year. Once again, you have Ryan Lasko back, uh, you know, who's just uh, an all around, maybe the most all around complete player in the Big Ten. Chris Brito is back. Both of them had really big summers in the Cape League. Uh, Drew Conover is a uh, transfer from Seton Hall. Uh, No-brainer uh, closer replacement for Dale Stanovich was lights out in the Cape. Uh, has you know uh, crazy uh, arm strength, velocity, uh, you know, and, and uh, all three pitches. He's just uh, really good. Uh, really high hopes for him. Um, and then you have um, other uh, position players coming back: uh, Tony Santamaria, Josh Carota Grauer. Uh, you know, guys that were big contributors last year. 
Uh, and then, you know, it's probably going to come down to pitching too. I mean, if Sam Portnoy back, Sam, Sam Bello is back. Uh, Nathan Florence is back. Uh, they have a lot of players back that were big contributors to last season's team. Uh, Evan Slate is back. Uh, Jordan Sweeney, uh, guys that all had big moments uh, last year uh, for Steve Owens. He brought in some transfers as well. And I think that, you know, Rutgers baseball is certainly on the up and up. But, you know, long story short, to finish that question, yes, for, for, for them to kind of ensure that they're going to go, uh, you know, can make the NCAA tournament, you have to win the Big Ten tournament. I think it just comes to down that. It's not fair. Uh, but, you know, you, you win the Big Ten regular season title. You know, you have a good strength of schedule. And then, um, you know, you, you hope that the selection committee picks you. But, um, you know, I think they, they learned that, you know, even when they thought they were in, you're never in until you're in. And I think the only way to ever ensure that as a Northeast baseball team in the Big Ten, which, by the way, does not get a ton of respect, uh, you know, at all, um, you have to win the Big Ten tournament. Uh, moving on. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sebastian Barry asks, how do you expect Rutgers to hang with bigger schools with NIL becoming a huge draw for recruits? It seems like team and school culture matter less than ever. Obviously NIL is a huge thing. We've talked about it all the time. Rutgers has, you know, the Knights of the Raritan collective. Now, um, Geo Baker's announcing on Friday about the Knight society, a little bit different, um, but similar in terms of both organizations are providing NIL opportunities for Rutgers student athletes. Um, do I expect Rutgers to hang with bigger schools with NIL becoming a huge draw for recruits? I'm not quite sure what bigger schools are, but I'm going to assume that that's kind of the blue bloods, um, or the traditionally good schools in terms of certain sports, you know, um, and, uh, no, I don't, uh, and, and because the answer is they never did. Uh, and you know, it, I think what some people maybe don't understand or forget is that, you know, listen, a lot of this was going on under the, behind the scenes, under the table for years and years and years and years. And, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to put a flashlight on it, but there's been recruits over the years for Rutgers where they, they definitely lost them for obvious reasons like that. And um, it's always happened. And, um, you know, it's obviously more in the, the forefront. Now there is some regulation potentially coming uh, in the future uh, to, to, to limit. But um, I think the point is Rutgers can't, you know, the, the goal, realistically, I mean, you're just not going to be able to compete with the Ohio States, the Michigans, Penn States, and NIL. But what you can do is provide opportunities for a lot of student athletes and make it desirable to stay at Rutgers because, you know, no NIL certainly would be a problem. But, you know, having NIL opportunities, even if they're not at the same level of some of these other schools, it's still a big positive. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I think maybe generally, yes. Uh, Sebastian, you're right that, you know, team and school culture matters less than ever, but it doesn't matter less for everyone. And, you know, perfect example is Gavin Griffiths for Rutgers men's basketball, top 35 national recruit in the class of 23. Uh, you know, he he could have gone to a lot, of, a lot of schools, including Michigan, and he chose Rutgers. And guess what? He has no NIL deal. He didn't choose Rutgers for the NIL deal. He chose him for Coach Peichel, the culture of the men's basketball team, uh, for being closer to his family. And there's always going to be athletes that soon athletes that choose that over a paycheck. Now, of course, yes, it's a problem. Uh, and they're going to lose, you know, could you say they're going to lose more soon athletes and not because of it? Yeah, probably. But, you know, I think that's in a way, maybe it makes it harder 
But I think in a way it also makes it easier in, in some respects. Maybe easier is the wrong word, but I think Rutgers coaches are going to be able to identify the right fits for their program, perhaps in a more efficient way now, uh, because it will be obvious to them in terms of those that are drawn by NIL and motivated by NIL versus culture, education, location, what have you. Uh, but I still believe that there's a lot of student athletes that are going to be motivated by other things other than just NIL. Of course, if a school comes in and offers a ridiculous amount of money, it's going to be really hard to overcome. How often is that going to happen with a Rutgers athlete? We'll see. Um, it's obviously possible, but um, I, I, I'm not as worried about it. I think that Rutgers, just in terms of the two, uh, the two organizations I mentioned, um, what Rutgers I think has been working on and you know, having branding partners and all that. And, you know, I think we're, we're just in the infant stages of NIL. And I think it's, it's, it's not even close to where it's ultimately going to be. And I do believe that Rutgers is going to be, you know, in a position to, to retain athletes and be a desirable place NIL or not. Uh, okay. Moving on. Uh, are you Zoolander? Uh, a couple, uh, this is a good one. A full breakdown of the anonymous quote from an opposing coach who called uh, the rack uh, a uh, SHIT hole, shithole, uh, last week uh, for the um, uh, Matt Norlander for CBS Sports had an anonymous poll with coaches uh, asking them about uh, kind of the best environments uh, in uh, college basketball. And uh, Rutgers didn't make, you know, the top list or anything, but it was a uh, pretty just hysterical quote uh, from an anonymous coach and I'm going to pull it up now to read it uh, just in terms of what was said and, and potentially who who said it. Everyone wants to know who said it. Uh, this was the actual quote. Uh, it's a shithole, but there's 8,500 people and it's a vertical wall. We walked in there, 10th in the country, and I've never been in an arena like that. We were getting our ass kicked and I was like, get me the F out of here. So <laughs> classic. I mean, just hysterical. I will admit my initial reaction was uh, that it was Mark Turgeon, uh, the former Maryland coach. It sounds like him to me a little bit. Um, they were also, just for factual evidence, they were actually the only team in the top 10 that came to the rack in recent years uh, and lost. And that was when Maryland was number nine in that last week of the 2020 season. Now, I then thought about it and I was like, you know what? It can't be him because he's not an active coach. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that Norlander made it clear that it was all active coaches. Uh, totally sounds like something Turgeon could say. Uh, but then I think in thinking more, and a lot of people thought this too, is that it's probably Brad Underwood of Illinois. I also think too, because the way he talks about the unfamiliarity of the rack, you know, he's, I mean, he's been around Illinois for a few years now, but uh, you know, he's less familiar than say Mark Turgeon or, you know, other guys uh, in the big 10. Uh, but it does sound like something Brad Underwood could say for sure. Uh, I believe they were 19th when they lost last year. Uh, I will say that they did get their ass kicked in the second half. Uh, so that kind of checks out. Um, and, you know, I think they were they were 10th at some point in the season. So it wouldn't surprise me for Underwood to maybe exaggerate or misrepresent their, their ranking at the time, uh, you know, unintentionally. But, uh, you know, and I know some people were upset that they called it a shithole. But, you know, honestly, I take it as a compliment. I mean, I think that's you're already your, your opponent is basically saying that you're already in their head because they they they're uncomfortable that they're going to play in a not so nice fancy shiny place 
And listen, we're from New Jersey. Like we embrace it. I love the rack. You know, is it, uh, and, and this is not a comparison exactly, but you know, I grew up going to old Yankee stadium. I've been to Fenway park, uh, many, many times. Uh, and you know, I love those parks and guess what, you know, the, the bathroom lines, the bathrooms there, they're, they're terrible, but you know what, that's, it has some weird charm about it. You know, they were built in the twenties and built for people that were alive in the 20, uh, 1920s, excuse me. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, calling it that was actually a compliment. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't compare the rack to Fenway or, or Yankee stadium, but it does have its own kind of building charm that, you know, maybe it's not pretty to look at, but it feels right. And that leads to Zoolander's second question, which was, is, um, is Pat Hobbs actually going to ruin this aesthetic? Is anything known yet about proposed renovations? So I agree with him. Certainly a concern. We don't want anything to happen to the rack. We love the rack. It's perfect the way it is. I know not everybody agrees with that. I know bathrooms is a huge thing that people complain about. I know that, you know, the facade outside, is not pretty to look at. I know they've talked about, and I don't know if this is, you know, official or anything, but they're talking about moving the entrance or the main entrance. I know they're talking about bathrooms. You know, I don't know if they're talking about club seating, uh, or, you know, box boxes. I'm not sure. I just hope that, and I, I asked this of Pat Hobbs on the podcast when he was on last month is, you know, obviously fans are just begging him and, and Steve Peichel, you know, to make sure that don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. And uh, hopefully they don't. I I, I mean, I, I listen, I think it was up to see Michael, to be honest with you. I don't think he changed a thing. I don't think this is up to him, per se. Uh, I think, you know, this, I mean, obviously the governor is helping to fund this. Uh, I understand why Rutgers wants to renovate it. Um, but, you know, please don't, don't screw it up. Uh, and I think that uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, and, and the last part of that I'll, I'll say is that, you know, I, is there any way to do this over two summers and not sacrifice an entire home season where Rutgers has to play somewhere else? That to me, I'm dreading that season uh, in terms of losing the rack. I can't believe that Steve Peichel would sit there and be happy about that fact. So I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned about what shakes out, but we'll have to see. And I guess, you know, the, 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 the long and short of it is we have to have faith. Uh, okay. Rutgers chop. Is there any chance we could see a Shiano extension anytime soon? Yes, I think we will. Pat Hobbs said it uh, to, to Keith Sargent in a recent article when um, the whole Big Ten uh, announcement of expansion with UCLA and USC and then the, the media rights deal came out, uh, which they're still shaking out in terms of what the share is going to be. I know Rutgers Hobbs said in that interview that Rutgers is among Maryland and Nebraska asking the Big Ten for uh, I wouldn't say compensation, but some kind of rework deal based on the fact that they all came in on partial shares initially. Uh, and now UCLA and USC are, are not they're coming in on full shares. Um, but Hobbs into, uh, didn't intimate. He said it. He said that it's time to look at Greg Schiano's contract, that when he was hired, he was in the, the median of Big Ten coaches. And now he's not. And they need to make that right. So I think, uh, you know, after this season, they'll, they'll work on a contract extension. He's got five years left after this year. Uh, usually once you get to four or five, you know, uh, once you start to get to the scholarship life of a player, uh, it's usually a good thing to extend a coach. If you believe in them, show faith, uh, show investment, uh, show the plan. Uh, and I think that's what Rutgers will do for Shiano after this season. Uh, let's move on to Jaws. 
Uh, special teams. Usually, Shiano has a great special forces. Punter is great. What's the place kicker situation? Is it set or does Makatami have competition? That's Jude Makatami from Ireland. Sounds like he's got a strong leg, but not very accurate. Is this true? Um, and then I'm looking for someone else asked me about if it was a concern about him missing an extra point. Uh, trying to find you here uh, so I can mention your name. Um, I can't. I don't see it, unfortunately. But um, that was asked as well. So Jude McTammy, uh, you know, big leg. Uh, I, I mentioned this on the last podcast. I thought uh, that, you know, he showed great character in missing the extra point. His first kick in, in Division One college football misses an extra point, uh, kind of screws things up for a while. Rutgers goes for a two-point to make up for it, misses it. Um, but then he, he kicked a clutch 33-yard field goal in the third quarter that the comeback never would have happened if he hadn't. Um, and then, you know, listen, he comes in, Rutgers ties it 21-21 on that touchdown, and he converted the extra point. I know it's just an extra point, but I think if you, you know, read, read about his story, his journey to get here, everything he's been through, uh, it took a lot of perseverance to do that. And I think it's going to help him now relax a little bit. And I think, yeah, I, I predicted before a season, I think he'd be a top five kicker in the Big Ten just based on his uh, leg strength, uh, his, um, you know, the, what coaches that have been around him have said. Uh, it just seems like he has a lot of potential. So, no, I'm not too worried. I think he, he's got to be good on kickoffs as well. Um, but I think that, you know, special teams as a whole did not look great on Saturday. But I think that that's something that will improve as the season uh, goes on. All right, let's move on to something else here. Uh, we have um, Tim Cody asked about the contract extension as well. We covered that. Mickey McGuire, does women's basketball have the talent to turn things around this year, or is it a long-term rebuild? Yes, Mickey, it is a long-term rebuild. Uh, this year is, for lack of better description, going to be difficult. Uh, they currently have eight scholarship players. Uh, I expect them to have eight scholarship players when the season starts. The schedule just came out today. Uh, you know, listen, they, they play Princeton. They play Seton Hall. They're playing the Paradise Jam. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the Big Ten schedule is, you know, as always, the Big Ten is really tough. Um, I, I, I think expecting, you know, really anything from this team in terms of like, you know, a, a big step forward is not realistic. Um, you know, it's going to be really challenging. Uh, head coach Coquise Washington, who we had on the podcast as well. Um, you know, obviously was up against it, didn't get hired till late May. Um, really challenging for her to build a roster, uh, has a couple of transfers, has a couple of returning players, has a couple of high school players. Um, but we're not going to know for a couple of years. I mean, we, we need to give her two full recruiting cycles and, you know, get into her third season and see how this program is trending. I know Mickey wasn't questioning her, but just saying in terms of this year, no, I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to be rough. I think, you know, can they get to double digit wins? I hope so. Uh, I'm going to be rooting for them. I think they're going to play hard. Uh, but eight scholarship players going into the season, that is not ideal. One injury and boom. I mean, you're uh, you're you're in dire straits there. So um, it's going to take time. Uh, Friday night lights. Top three coaches on Chiano's current staff. Uh, that's his first question. So, um, you know, it's it's hard to, to I, I think, rank all the coaches. But what I will say uh, is two that stand out to me. Um, first, Augie Hoffman uh, moved to the offensive line. I was previously at running backs, you know, former uh, St. Joe's high school coach, played uh, offensive line uh, at Boston College and, and in the NFL. 
Um, you know, he's a great recruiter. He's, I think, a really good position coach. Uh, I think he just, you know, he, he kind of has a presence. I mean, I think he's a, a kind of inspiring guy. Uh, and I think that, you know, he's, he's an impressive assistant coach. And uh, by all accounts, you know, he's, uh, he's a good player developer. Uh, and I think, you know, the, listen, the offensive line, I mean, look at what they did on that last drive. So a long way to go for that group. But um, I think he's got to be up there as a top kind of position assistant. Uh, and then Joe Harismiak, it's early, but, you know, uh, obviously the Rutgers defense is looking to improve. But just based on his track record, what he did at Minnesota, what he did as a head coach, um, you know, Division II, um, I, I think that, you know, his ceiling is really high as defensive coordinator at Rutgers. Um, and I think he is another really impressive assistant coach in the roster. Aside from that, I mean, I think there's a lot of good coaches. There, there's definitely some new ones. Um, you know, Corey Heatherman is one that I think, you know, has has stood out a little bit. Uh, Marquise Watson is get, is gets a ton of praise. Uh, Demir Shaw and him were listed on, I think, top 30, under 30 coaches uh, in college football. Uh, Nunzio Campanelli, of course, you know, uh, has, has been a, a key coach for Rutgers and a key recruiter for, for years now. Um, so I, I, I think they're... I think in general, the staff is pretty good. I think there's a lot of good coaches. Um, for me, those two that I mentioned, Hoffman and Harismiak, are the ones that really jump out. Uh, second part of Friday Night Lights, he asks, is Salam working into the running back one role? Will we uh, – that, that was the second part of his question. So I don't know about that. I think Salam is a great change of pace back. I think that you know durability-wise, based on his size, um, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a number one running back. Um, but I don't know if that matters. I think, you know, his quality of, um, you know, touches uh, and his potential impact on those touches uh, is really, really high. And I think him and Manungai were a great pairing on Saturday. I think that Rutgers wants that committee approach uh, and will continue with that. Uh, and then last question, will we see any new faces getting playing time this week? That's against Wagner. I think, yes, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for, uh, the younger players, I think, you know, I'm really interested if Sam Brown uh, gets some carries, uh, the former four-star uh, running back. Uh, I, I really have high hopes for him in his career uh, in this season. So let's see what happens there. Aside from him, you know, uh, besides Sam Brown, Kenny Fletcher, I think, uh, you know, Rashad Rochelle I mentioned. I don't know how much, you know, necessarily Rutgers will be passing at that point. Um, but it'd be good to see him. I one guy I forgot to mention that looked really good on Saturday was Desmond Igbenusen. Um, you know, I don't think, I think he's, listen, he's played his way on the two deep. I think he's going to play a lot this year. So I don't think he's going to get extra time against Wagner, but he's just a guy I wanted to point out that I forgot before. Um, but you know, in general, I mean, we'll, we'll see how many guys play. I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> I find all coaches tend to overplay their top guys, even in a bad competition. You know, it would be silly if Rutgers went too long with guys. But, you know, Anthony Johnson's a four-star linebacker. Uh, you know, he should get a lot of uh, run on uh, Saturday. I think it's a good game for him to do that. Um, but, you know, I hope that, yeah, younger guys get opportunities, uh, you know, to, to kind of show their stuff and, and get some get their feet wet. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many offensive linemen will necessarily play uh, in terms of the freshmen. Um, but I think that, yeah, it's going to be uh, a great opportunity for some of those younger guys uh, to get some reps and get some game opportunities and and, and show their stuff uh, in terms of, you know, playing against a team that obviously they should handle pretty easily. Uh, and then let's see here. Uh, going down the list, I think we're almost there. Um, 
here's a question from uh, there, there's a great question about from Morosi. Uh, can you discuss how Rutgers as a program matches up with our old Big East rivals? Um, program, I mean, all facets money, facilities, conference recruiting, NIL, school prestige, current team recruits, results. I honestly think when looking at the broader program view, we have passed them. Um, it's a great question. I replied that, you know, this really actually for me to answer this the right way. I really need to do some research just in terms of where those programs are with NIL and facilities and things like that. But I think, you know, without a doubt, you could say that, you know, compared to West Virginia, Syracuse, UConn, um, Boston College, you know, Rutgers is so, you know, even uh, Virginia Tech, so much better positioned in the long term now being in the Big Ten with that media rights deal. Um, you know, Rutgers has come so far with the facilities, uh, you know, where we are now. Are they better per se than all those programs? I think, you know, I, I think it's probably more close than not close. But the point is Rutgers used to be behind them. And I think in the next 10 years, Rutgers is going to go way past them. So I do want to go back to this question at some point and, and maybe even write about it. It was a great question from Morosi. Uh, and then uh, let's see. Uh, last question, uh, which kind of is full circle of this whole podcast from Tuanon, Rupert. Pupkin, <laughs> uh, it's it's a, it's getting late. Uh, Rutgers seemingly ran the ball much better with Wimsat. Coincidence or something to it? Something to it. Obviously, he is a true threat in the run game. He is a true dual threat. He has the arm. He has the legs. Uh, he had that forty-eight yard run. Getting him out of the pocket and getting him, uh, you know, uh, in open space. That I mean, listen. <laughs> That's what he's here to do. He, he's here to run the RPO, get him out in space, get him out of the pocket, and let him let him use his talent. Uh, obviously, he's got to learn this, the system better. He's got to read defenses better. Yes, but that comes with experience. He has the talent. Anyone that looks you in the eyes and said, you look at Gavs and Windsor play and don't realize what the talent he has, I, I just I don't get it. So, yes, they, they, they run better with him there. That, that was part of the whole thing in the last drive of the game is BC had to worry about him as a running threat. You know, if, if Simon or even, I mean, and Vedros had some good runs in his career, but I mean, Wimsett is explosive as a runner. He showed it against BC and they had to prepare for it and they had to cover against it. And that was, uh, and then Rutgers just ran it down their throats, but having Wimsett under center, definitely there was value there in terms of making the defense have to account for him. Uh, and it, it, you know, it obviously served them very well. So, uh, I think we're coming up on an hour here. I got through a ton of questions. I'm sorry if I missed any. I don't think I did. Um, you know, there were some that were they're similar, so I might not have mentioned everyone's name, but I, I have to tell you, I really, really appreciate so many people writing to me uh, and, uh, you know, wanting to actually hear what I have to say. So uh, I, I don't take that for granted whatsoever. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, um, other podcast platforms as well. Uh, YouTube channel, uh, Aaron Brightman, uh, Apple, we're on uh, Scarlet Faithful, and obviously scarletfaithful.com. Uh, all your coverage for Rutgers Athletics uh, is there. And really appreciate everyone reading, listening, watching. Uh, and thank you once again. Uh, and uh, we got Wagner this week. Uh, big uh, weekend ahead for Rutgers uh, men's soccer host uh, Ryder on Friday. Need a win there. Rutgers women's soccer hosts LaSalle on Thursday. LSU on Sunday, which is an intriguing non-conference game. They need that one. 
Uh, field hockey plays two ranked foes, uh, in-state foes, uh, number 25 Monmouth on Friday and number 13 Princeton on Sunday. Those are big. Volleyball uh, is at which tournament? Oh, they're at Loyola Chicago. They have a big weekend, uh, need a bounce back weekend from them. Uh, across countries at Michigan. So tons of sports going on. We're in September. We're in the flow. Things are going. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, we're just at the beginning of the, of the school year, and uh, a lot of good times are ahead here at the Scarlet Faithful.